And if you show up regularly with generosity, everything else is going to take care of itself. Welcome to your personal branding podcast with Bernard Kelvin Clive, your number one career and business podcast in Ghana, bringing you expert interviews and insights into personal branding, personal development, and publishing. Now, here's your host, Bernard Kelvin Clive. It's a pleasure to talk to you, Bernard. Yeah, it's a pleasure I treasure. Seth, I haven't been following you for over a decade now, and I'm honored to really have an interaction with you today on this podcast to do with branding and business success. And to dive right away into the discussion, you let listeners know what were your childhood dreams when growing up? Oh, wow, that's an interesting place to start. I guess that I, on a good day, dreamed that I would be lucky enough to do what I do now. Uh, I started my first company when I was 14 and have always been fascinated by projects, by doing something that hadn't been done before. And I sort of felt like maybe, just maybe, there would be a chance to do that forever. I was worried that I would have to get a real job in a real company doing what someone else told me to do, and that really freaked me out. You were worried to get a real job and freaked out that somebody would tell you what you to do to follow instructions. I mean, are you internally wired not to follow instructions? Let me put it so. You know, I think that most of us are internally wired not to follow instructions, but then our culture, our schools, our systems push on us this belief that we have to follow instructions. And I was very lucky in that my parents encouraged me uh, to question the conventional wisdom. Wow, your parents encourage you to question conventional wisdom. That, do you think that's a critical part of our educational process, or that's, that's something which is really missing in today's education, that we hardly question things, we follow the masses and do things that as and we are told to do? You know, in a stable industrial culture, following the instructions and fitting in is actually quite important. And so I think the intent of parents has always been to do what's best for their children. The problem comes in when the culture shifts. Because when the culture shifts, if we're not ready to lead, we're going to be held back. Uh, What advice would you give your younger self if you or she was born today in this internet global age, what advice would said give someone like that? Well, that's the advice I try to put on my blog every day because I write it for myself. Um, <laughs> and the advice is make promises, launch projects, keep your promises, fail if you have to, and then do it again. That what we have the privilege of doing now for the first time is each of us can do work we care about as opposed to doing what we're told. Hmm. Does, does that go to do with uh, the average of finding your passions and your purpose in life? And if, if, if that is so, how do one then begin to discover and live the life of his or her dreams? You know, I don't think we are born with a purpose in life. <laughs> and I think that we make up our passions. Hmm. And we make them up based on a whole bunch of complex factors including what we are afraid of and what we desire 
And we ought to be able to change our passions uh, depending on how the world works. So for me, I don't think we need to spend a lot of time looking for our why and looking for our purpose. I think we have to be useful, and I think we have to figure out how to regularly show up and ship things that people desire. But now, concerning your blog, I blog daily. How do you do this daily? What is your motivation? What is your drive? It's, it's fascinating. Well, uh, the way you do it is you do it one word at a time and one post at a time. The reason I do it is because I only had to decide once to blog every day. Then every morning, all I have to decide is what to blog next, as opposed to having to constantly have a discussion with myself about whether or not I should blog. So deciding to commit to something is a big deal. But then once you've made the commitment, figure out the variety for the next one is not so hard. <laughs> so it's, it's, it's out of a decision to commit to something that once you decide, then you begin to work at it daily. Now, some time ago, I think way back, you turned off commenting from your blog post because you, you are not going to follow the negative reviews. Especially nobody follows the negative reviews on Amazon or for his blog. But because you want to communicate or share your ideas, your comments are off and you're going to, you're going to listen to those people. Recently, most blogs, including Copy Blogger and Co., have turned off their commenting I mean, feature from their blog post. How then do we have an interactive engagement for society online? Oh, well, that, the second part is easy. Start your own blog. If you want to, okay. if you want to comment on my blog, please do. Do it on your blog. <laughs> right? I mean, that's the way blogs were invented. That's what they were supposed to be. And, uh, you know, I got a lot of flack for a lot of years that people yelled at me. I must not have a real blog because I don't have comments. And the fact is, I was right that reading what anonymous people have to say about you doesn't make your work better. What, what makes your work better then? How do you begin to stand out? Well, I think you can make your work better by seeking out the people it resonates with and watching how it changes them, by working with non-anonymous people you respect and seeing how it resonates with them. That I am not saying that we should insulate ourselves from the market. I'm saying that paying attention to people who are trying to hurt you doesn't do you any good. Mm-hmm. So when you come across critics or those criticizing your thoughts or your works for all this, well, what do you do as a person? What do you do? Well, you know, what I'm saying is there will be critics and you have to process that by saying to yourself, well, I guess it's not for you. And nothing we make is for everyone. So when you run into someone for whom it's not for them, that's fine. Forgive them. Forgive yourself and move on. <laughs> a question from Kenneth. He's, he, he wanted me to ask you, how do you want to build an audience or a tribe from the title of your book on what you or you propagated that building a tribe is essential for business or personal success? How do one begin to build a tribe from a blog? He wants to know about that. Okay, well, it's a sort of a complicated question, which is why I needed to write a 200-page book to answer it. Um <laughs> You know, the, the essence of a tribe is not just a group of people who are giving you permission to talk to them. It's not merely your podcast listeners. They're not your tribe. 
There is a tribe of people who like Harley Davidson motorcycles. There is a tribe of people who are fighting uh, for the dignity of a group of people in one part of the world or another. There is a tribe of business people who like your blog and like my your podcast and my blog. But they are not our tribe. And so I think that most direct answer I can give is you're probably better off finding a tribe that already exists and working with them and speaking to them and leading them as opposed to trying to build a new tribe from scratch. So you advise that you find an existing tribe then and lead them. Yes, that's exactly what I'm saying. That you know, when I when I was in Kenya, uh, I was working with Jehudi Kalima, which is a bank that um, loans money to farmers. And what I found is that only one out of ten farmers were thirsty enough and caring enough and motivated enough to borrow money to buy a cow. And that group was a tribe. They just needed to be connected. They needed to be amplified. And Jehudi Kalimo was able to do that. If they spent all their time running around trying to get the other 90% of people to wake up, they're going to waste their time. They're far better off amplifying an existing tribe than they are in trying to change people who are resistant to change. Does it align also with that in, in looking at production services is that one needs to really find a niche, then begin to master or grow that niche and, and pro- produce products and services to meet that need of that niche or that tribe? Okay, so now you're bringing up a different topic, which comes from Trout and Reese's book, Positioning, which is mm-hmm. a, a niche. A niche means a hole. And so what marketers do is we find a hole and we fill it. And there is no better way to grow your business than to make something that the people who care know they already need. It's totally different to make something that people already know they need than it is to try to persuade people that they need what you make. Mm-hmm. There's two, 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 two different paths here. Doing something for people, for things that you know that they already need or craving for the things and also doing you know, creating a product for people you think they may want it. Right. Most of the time what marketers do is they want it, and then they run around yelling at people, look, I put a lot of effort into making this. Please, please buy it. Well, that's a selfish pitch. The alternative is to say, I made this for you. For you, I made this. Do you like it? And if the person says no, well, that means it's not for them. There's this, there's this notion, or this what we tend to believe that uh, the customer is always right. Yeah, that's not completely true. I, I think that the mm. there's two halves of that sentence. The customer is always right, and the second half is, and if the customer is wrong, then they're not your customer anymore. <laughs> so what we must say to people is, I understand that's your position. I understand that's what you want. I'm not able to do that for you. So here, here's my competitor's phone number. Why don't you call them? And if we can't leave ourselves that out, then we have surrendered way too much authority to somebody merely because they have five dollars in their hand. Now, moving, moving from from big screen, still in marketing and products. In one, in one of your book, you, you talked about all markets are liars. 
and and to do with that, someone wondering why all markets are, li- are liars. I'm not read a book. I don't know what. Why should market lies or are they pitching us product or things that we don't need or making us to believe that those things are the things that we need? Okay, well, it's the worst title any book has ever had. It was a stupid title, <laughs> and I've and I've changed the title to "All Marketers Tell Stories," because what the book really says is what we buy when we buy almost anything, is the story about it, not the thing itself. That uh, whether we are uh, buying a bottle of water or buying a bottle of wine, whether we are buying an airplane ticket or some clothing, we are telling ourselves a story about safety, about satisfaction, about pleasure, about luxury. These stories we tell ourselves are what we pay for. And that is a huge leap that a lot of people have trouble with because they want to say all that matters are the specs of what I made. All that matters is I can prove my product is better. But that's never what matters, whether someone's running for election or whether we're buying a computer. What matters is when I look at this, when I talk about this, what story do I tell myself? And the story has to resonate with us. It has to match the things we already believe, but it also has to be true. That it's when it's true is when it spreads. And that distinction is being missed by a lot of people. So we buy into the story, not necessarily the products. The story that the product tells us that we buy into and not necessarily just the product we want to buy. I, I tell people that uh, we buy products or things for maybe two main reasons. I believe that maybe to avoid pain or loss and to for the pleasure or the fun of it so that if a marketer is telling stories with these two features in there, I might want to avoid pain or pleasure because if I don't buy a product, I may lose these things or I want the fun of it because this is in a book. So I make decisions based on these two uh, subconsciously uh, Based on your product or service, so that if you are pitching a product to me, uh, is it going to help me solve a need or, or avoid a pain or give me pleasure? Exactly. And it's not that the product solves a need and it's not that the product causes pain. It's that the story we tell ourselves solves a need. And the story we tell ourselves uh, could cause pain. So if you found out that you had a chance uh, to take a $1 flight to London, but you missed it by five minutes because you were busy making yourself a cup of coffee, so you didn't get to take the flight, you would feel the pain of regret that you had missed this wonderful uh, flight to London. But the flight to London isn't causing you pain. What's causing you pain is the story you tell yourselves about missing the flight, right? And so we mm-hmm. need what we do as marketers is we initiate and amplify these stories. Now, looking at social now brands and new media and the way forward, how do you think that brands or can survive the test of time? Because now there are a lot of noise in the system. People are buzzing with products, services. How do brands begin to stand out and consistently maintain leads? Or would you think some of these big brands will fade out with the test of time with new product and service in the system? Okay, so. The big brands are largely a result of television 
are largely a result of years and years of being there loudly. And what we are seeing is, is new brands like Airbnb, like, uh, you know, many of the websites that we like so much. New brands don't happen that way. So you and I are using Skype right now. Skype is a multi-billion dollar company that has never run a TV commercial, right? And they don't need to because their the use of the product is the branding. So I think what we're going to see is boring traditional products are going to fade because TV can't keep sustaining them. And new products are going to take their place because they're building an interaction that people remember. One key word mentioned in, in this interaction, you, you, you're one advocate of permission marketing. In the midst of the noise, uh, is interaction that sells products and services. That Do you use this product? I won't recommend you use Skype or use maybe Google Hangouts. So it's the interaction that the brands are having with uh, their audience that will cause them to sustain over a period of time. It's, it's one key ingredient which is missing in, in the mass marketing um, I think I understand, but correct me if I'm missing the point. Uh, mass marketing has a problem, which is it's harder than ever to reach the masses. Uh, permission marketing is the privilege of delivering anticipated personal and relevant messages to people who want to get them. You can't do that to the masses, but you can do it to people who matter. Right? You can do it to people who care about you, and that once they hear from you, they'll tell their friends. Mm, so that's, that's, so you, you really advocate that one should go for permission marketing more than any other thing, that you need to seek their permission in a way that will make them feel loved or want your products or services. If people don't want to hear from you, how on earth are you going to be able to talk to them? Yeah, that's tough. Yeah. One of my things in, in this area where we advocate for, I mean, big names or brands or individuals as brands, I, I really want to think advocate that you, people buy into you before you product themselves as a person. So we believe in the personal brands. Now, would, would you think that one should really pitch his product or service? What do you think should market first? One is asking, this is a question from Imano. He's saying <coughs> that, what do you really say between a product and a person? What should one market first? Well, I think it depends on what you make. If you are making a, a pharmaceutical, a drug, I don't think it matters who the person is. I want to know what the FDA and the regulatory testing showed. Did it make people better, right? If you are mm -hmm. a celebrity trying to sell me on going to your next movie, well, then you better be selling me yourself. And uh, so I think there's a spectrum. Sometimes you're selling both. I would say... Sir Richard sells both. He sells himself, mm. but he also sells the fact that the seats are better on Virgin and that the flight attendants are nicer. Um, so it, it's a spectrum, and I don't think there's a shortcut or an obvious answer. What do you do when it's your time, and you believe that it is our time now? What are we seeking to communicate to the audience, and what do we want them to believe of new ideas that we are selling to people? You believe... Every day, every moment is our time and we should do things that matter. Well, what are you waiting for? Why would your time be later than now? Right? It's not going to get better tomorrow. You're not going to be, you know, I, it was interesting. I, uh, eight years ago, I was talking to the guys who started Google and they said, hmm. this is before most people had even heard of Google. 
Uh, it was actually 11 years ago. They said, look, we figure that everybody sooner or later will use Google. And we also know that Google gets better every day. So we're in no hurry for people to use it because the longer they wait, the better it will be when they first use it. And I thought that was a fairly accurate but arrogant statement. And I don't think it applies to most of us. I think for most of us, waiting doesn't help. I think for most of us, we ought to realize that we have everything we need today to make life better for one other person. And if you can make life better for one other person today, you'll get another chance to do it tomorrow. And if you do it enough days in a row, you'll be making a living. Said, what has been the most challenging lesson you've learned in maybe I'll put it maybe one of your failures in whatever time you might want to refer to the most damaging or failure most thing that you think could be a startup or growing up sometimes it's felt that I really failed or messed up but how were you able to recover or recoup from such a loss well you know I wrote a book that I made free called the bootstrappers bible and I hope people will look it up mm. online and what I argue in the Bootstrapper's Bible is that if you can figure out how to have a flow of money that is bigger than what you need to run your organization, you have the freedom to make great stuff. And this isn't necessarily true for everyone, but for me, feeling like I am against the wall and out of money uh, is a giant challenge. So what I chose to do early on was not the biggest project I possibly could, not go into the debt in order to make the project bigger, but instead pick projects that were small enough that I could do remarkable work and be okay if they didn't succeed. Because if you get up to the plate and know you have to hit a home run, it's really hard to get on base, right? It's really hard to play properly if the whole game is on the line. So at least for me, I find you can do generous and interesting work if your projects are just a little smaller than you can handle. Mm. So are, you, are you in for the uh, minimum viable product launch idea that's okay, look at what would somebody need this in, in this particular thing that I'm doing? I think that MVP is largely misunderstood. I think that some people use it as an excuse to ship crappy stuff. And <laughs> the key, you know, the key, uh, two words are not just minimum, but minimum viable. And what the word viable, and what the mm. word viable means is good enough for people to interact with in a way that you are proud of. And, so we don't get to say, oh, I shipped a really junky thing, but that's my MVP. We need to say, this is good enough to be worth your time. Good enough for me to put my name on it. Now, let's see how we make it better. Mm, so not just in, not, you also have an idea why we should ship our stuff, whatever it is, but it's not just shipping anything, but something valuable to people then we can ship not because we are shipping crappy stuff because we must ship our products or get to the audience but something which is of, of relevance or important to exactly so i have a question from dino dino he says you you had yo dime which was doing so well then why did you sell it to yahoo well it's a complicated question but i guess 
the short answer is we build companies for many reasons. One of the reasons I built that company was to enable my team to go further. And so I spent all my days at work training and cajoling and pushing people to go further. And I felt like selling the company to Yahoo would open the door for my team to earn more money, have a bigger platform, make a bigger difference. And then the second reason was that we honestly believed that we could change the way marketing worked. And it felt to me like selling the company to the fastest growing, most successful internet company at the time would enable us to have a bigger voice in that shift. And it was naive of me to think that a big company would have the same focus that we did. Um, but it changed so many of our lives. And I'm very happy with my life today, so I'm not sure I would change it if I could do it over. I strongly recommend that people who build businesses understand that they are not their business and their business is not them. You may sell your business. You may close your business. You may find a partner for your business. And yes, it's personal, but no, it's not you. Mm, I think that's deep. That's that's deep revelation. If people really understand that, that your business is not just you. Right, and that is why we do companies and businesses because we can fail without dying. Right, that if a product fails or a business fails, we're not dead. The business is, or the product is. And that's the only way we can insulate ourselves enough to do great work. Sad, you keep mentioning great works. Do you think that matter to you? What is a great work or what one says a great work? If I need to shift something, I think uh, it's not that crappy, but I think it's, to me it's great work. So what is that great work in your context, in your idea, in your philosophy, that one should do work that matter, one should do great works? What well, are those things? the easy answer is would I miss it if it was gone? Right? If they hadn't made mm. that movie... If they hadn't made that guitar, if they hadn't offered that restaurant meal, would I have missed it if it was gone? That's one method. Uh, another method is, does it touch us? Does it touch us in a way that makes us feel more human? Um, and too many marketers are running around, reading all the shortcuts, trying to game the system, doing that thing they call hustle, all of which is self, all of it is selfish. None of it is about the customer. Mm. And um, I think that inevitably those people fail. And the alternative is to play the other way, right? The, al the alternative is to say, how can I serve more people today? How can I serve them in a way that they would miss me if I didn't show up? Mm. Wow. All right. I think if if I hadn't done this interaction with you, maybe the people that would have missed some of this interaction. So this this podcast interview is something that really matters and something that's going to help people. So if I had missed this, it's, uh, people would have missed the opportunity to learn more about you and product and services and about marketing. So this is something that really matters. Well, thank you. I appreciate that, Bernard. <laughs> what three things do you do regularly to help you? establish your brand or identity or to push yourself out there three things to do on a constant basis are there any routines uh, for your well let me put in big like your success what are the common routines that you do well the first one is I 
posts a blog post every day. And I think everyone should do that. It's an amazing opportunity. Uh, the second thing I do is I read a lot, more than most people, uh, blogs and books. I think that they're an amazing bargain, and uh, we ought to figure out how to expose ourselves more often to that kind of thinking. And the third thing I do is I ask all the time, why? Why does it work that way? Every time I interact with something I don't understand, why? Why is it like that? Why do they do it this way? Why is that working? Why isn't that working? Asking ourselves the question why and then figuring it out really pays off. So asking yourself questions, reading daily, and you, firstly you advise people to start blogging or blog daily on your own way to help them too. You read more than any other thing. You read every material. And the three most important thing is that you keep on asking why would this work, why would this not work? And one of the things you keep saying, what if it fails or what if it's actually, what if you succeed? Yes, exactly. Great. Said I would always do this and ask before I end my interaction with you. Do you know it's asking that there's always a saying that people don't know what they want until you show it to their faces. Like people don't know what they really want until you show that or you let them know that they, they need this. How is it compatible with your philosophy of permission marketing? So I did a blog post five years ago called First Ten, and it's easy to find. And what I, <clears throat> what I argue in that post is if you've come up with something that good, show it to ten people, ten friends, ten family members, ten people you already have permission to talk to. And if it's good, they'll each tell ten people, and that's, then you're on your idea. way. And if it's not good, then make something better. That's a good idea. It's, it's, I think it's also work faster even for authors. If you have a book, you... I think in one of your blog posts, you had also mentioned that, okay, what about if you if you forward it to 10 people or also and ask them, if, if they think this content is good, it's also share with their friends in a way of getting your content to go viral and let to people to know that, okay, you really also have something to offer them. Right. That's exactly what I'm describing. Too many people say, I need to send this to a million people so a hundred will buy it. And I'm saying, well, then you're a spammer. And your work's not very good. The alternative is to build something that grows, not something that shrinks unless you're constantly feeding it attention. Huh. Seth, in the midst of all this, your studies, your ideologies, as you share things with people every now and then, what do you do really for fun? I know you have kids. I don't know how many kids you have, but what's, what is fun for you in the normal, aside blogs, books, speaking, on a normal day, who is Seth? I mean, let's get to know that aspect <laughs> of your life. Well... I only do all the things I do because they're fun. And one of the luckiest things you can have is the ability to do something that's fun for a living. Uh, but when I'm not doing this, I like to cook. I like to listen to music. I uh, like to... Uh, I have a number of really weird, interesting hobbies. And, um, you know, mostly, as you can tell from my blog, it's not designed for me to go on and on about who I am and what I like. It's about my readers. And so I am fascinated by the choices other people are making and the work that they are doing. And I try not to spend a lot of time saying, aren't I interesting? Look at what I am doing. Um, 
and uh, mm-hmm. so far that seems to be working. So, as, you know, as we wrap this up, Bernard, I think that the the work that you are doing as a podcaster and as a leader is so important. But what I would like to remind your listeners is this. If you don't have time to do this right, where on earth will you find the time to do it over? And too often we let the hustle get in the way of work that matters. And if you show up regularly with generosity, everything else is going to take care of itself. Wow. Golden piece of nugget to end up this conversation. I really, really, really love this passion. Thank you, sir. Thank you, Seth, for your time and interaction to share with this audience all over the globe. And I appreciate your time and your Well, thank you. Take care, and I appreciate the work. Cheers. Yeah, great. I want to recommend my books on Amazon for you today. Visit Amazon.com and get access to all my 15-plus books today. I recommend the latest book on personal branding that is Rebrand, The Ultimate Guide to Personal Branding. Get one today and grab a copy for someone else. That is Rebrand. The best is yours.